Welcome to the Mind Vine Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the Mind Vine Podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. Welcome to the Mindvine Podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers, and I am not with my co-host as usual. Uh, Chris is not here today, but in his place, we are uh, blessed to have Amanda Sampson from our Center of Organ Center of Education and Organizational Development join as our guest uh, co-host. Amanda, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, it's we're on the eve of. Mental Health Week, and we're going to be releasing a, a few podcasts on a couple particular topics. And today we're going to kind of tackle women's mental health and uh, figured it would be good to have um, maybe your perspective on this as we kind of bring in a uh, psychiatrist from our uh, one of our programs here at Ontario Shores. So thanks again for joining us. I'm pleased to welcome uh, to the podcast uh, Dr. Caitlin McKeever. So Dr. McKeever, welcome. Thank you. And so for people that don't know, you're a psychiatrist here at Ontario Shores. You're, I think you're involved in a lot of different aspects of uh, Ontario Shores and programming, but uh, you do work with our women's clinic, uh, more specifically to today's topic. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. Nice Great. to meet you, Amanda. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> so we're going to tackle women's mental health. And um, the first question, Dr. McKeever, would be, are there issues that are unique uh, or more common in terms of mental health as it relates to, to women? Yeah, there are some, some differences in, in the mental health of, of um, men versus women. Uh, for example, something really common, uh, rates of depression are, are, fairly, are significantly higher in, in women compared to men. Um, that's just one example. The, the reasons you know, why are, are complicated, and probably there are many reasons, but... Um, one thing that's that's more specific to women is you know, hormonal changes that happen throughout the lifespan. So factors associated with with puberty, for example, and then um, hormonal cycles that come with menstruation, pregnancy, childbirth, and um, and then later in life, menopause. Each of those things really does influence uh, mood um, and can increase the risk of various mental health problems, including depression, anxiety, and, and others as well. Hmm. So are the signs that someone is struggling with a mental health um, issue different for women? Many of the signs can be similar between men, women, and any, anyone, but there are some, I think, specific to women. In some ways, I think um, it can be somewhat easier or more socially acceptable for women to talk about things like, like low mood and um, emotional difficulties where it, it can be more stigmatized for men. On the other hand, there's there's reasons why women have more difficult times sometimes accessing support, uh, especially in, in around perinatal or the pregnancy and childbirth. Um, it can be hard, for example, if, if someone is experiencing symptoms of depression or anxiety in a shortly after the birth of a baby, um, to talk about that because it's it's often thought of as the time that's supposed to be perfect and happy, and it, it can be hard for a woman to to acknowledge that she is struggling. Um, sometimes there's fears too of, of, um, that other people will be concerned about her ability to parent, you know? And, uh, mm -hmm. so there's, there's reasons why, why women might not come forward to describe what they're going through. Mm -hmm. 
But in many ways, things are similar. I mean, people notice changes in sleep and their ability to do the things they usually like to do, their enjoyment of things, their energy level and motivation. Um, and those are pretty similar uh, between anyone who experiences uh, mental health concerns. Um, but I think some of the specific settings, contexts, and, and the ways that it gets expressed can be different for, for men versus women. As I mentioned, um, when we were introducing you that you are involved with uh, our women's clinic here at Ontario Shores. And I wonder if you could give us a little bit of an idea of, you know, what is the women's clinic and, and what is some of the work that's done there? Right. So our women's clinic uh, at Ontario Shores, um, our focus is on uh, women who have uh, mental health symptoms that are, that have been sort of made worse or gotten worse related to um, hormonal factors or, or factors specific to women. So just to be more clear about that, usually it means um, symptoms that get worse, like depression, anxiety around pregnancy or in the early postpartum period, like the first year is, is usually our focus. Uh, we also see women who have trouble with um, mood difficulties around their period. So it's something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is um, in some ways a little like PMS, or, or, uh, but more severe uh, and, and more debilitating. Uh, so we would, we would treat and see women for those symptoms, as well as for mood issues, mood or other mental health issues that get worse or changed around menopause. Um, we wish we had the capacity to see like all women with, with any mental health circumstances, but we, we try to focus on, uh, on ones that are worsened or related to uh, hormonal factors or factors really specific to women. Um, and we try to do a, a course of treatment. So that means that might include treatment by me or our nurse practitioner, Julie Bisson, to do uh, medication management and changes um, from that perspective. And it might also include um, therapy. So we mostly offer cognitive behavioral therapy and interpersonal therapy that's kind of short term in nature, really trying to help people manage symptoms um, and move forward. Before you Can I just ask before you jump into man, I just want to just more time about the women's clinic. It is called the the Love You by Shoppers Drug Mart Women's Clinic on Ontario Shores. I just I know I you know because we work in the in the hospital, we refer to it as the women's clinic, and that's what it was known before uh, we had shoppers support. But I just wanted to clarify that it is called the Love You Shoppers uh, Drug Mart Women's Clinic, and we're grateful for their support. So. Um, now you may proceed, Amanda. I just wanted to clarify that before. That's okay. <laughs> didn't give the proper recognition. I actually had a quick follow-up question to the one that you just talked about. Um, I'm curious, are the treatments, because you're dealing with hormones and things like that in many cases, are the treatments similar compared to other mental health conditions like the medications and, and things or other options? There is a lot of overlap in terms of the treatments. We use many of the same medications, for example, but we try to um, make sure to also approach it from, an, from um, like a, a holistic level of, as well. So that might include some different treatments. We try to work closely with people's family physicians and also and or obstetricians, gynecologists who might be helping to manage um, hormonal treatments as well. So there, there are some other things to consider. Um, and we, uh, although, Usually I don't prescribe those medications. I try to work closely with um, the other practitioners who would be helping us to manage that. So there are some, some treatments that can involve um, 
uh, for example, like hormonal contraception can, uh, like over the counter, uh, sorry, excuse me, oral contraceptive pills can play a role mm -hmm. for some people in helping to manage mood shifts around their periods. Um, and uh, sometimes there are other interventions that can be taken, but uh, we would try to work closely with the medical team basically to, to arrange those if, if that was appropriate. Uh, and otherwise, a lot of the treatments are very similar. The same kinds of uh, therapies can help and the same kinds of medications for the most part are, are used. Great, thanks. So there is immense stress that comes with being an expecting or a new mother. What are some of the things to be cognizant, cognizant of? Wow during pregnancy and postpartum in terms of mental health? It's a good question. I think with, with mental health always, you know, it's at least kind of a three-pronged approach, maybe even more sometimes that's needed. So you always have to think about things from the, the mental health symptoms and kind of causes from a biological, from a psychological and from like a social standpoint, right? And parenthood has such huge changes in all three of those fronts. So pregnancy and, and uh, new parenthood, even for, for non-biological parents, there are changes that happen hormonally. Um, and then it's a total um, change in your, in your sort of social role when you go from not being a parent to, to parenting a newborn, um, which has a lot of impacts. Can, for example, and some people can, can bring up um, traumatic memories if they've experienced that in the past or, or bring up difficult um, emotions from the past. Uh, some people really... Uh, it's a, it's a big challenge to sort of adjust to the new expectations and responsibilities. Uh, and, and psychologically that has a big impact. So, uh, I, I mean, I think it's true with every sort of psychiatric or, or mental health concern that, that you have at least those three um, kind of domains to think about. But I think in, in parenting, uh, in new parenthood, it, it really makes, there are major changes in all three of those domains that can, can really impact how, um, how it's experienced and the kind of symptoms and, and treatments that are useful when people have anxiety or depression or, or other concerns around that time. Of course, too, I didn't say that explicitly, but that's a major one. Anyone who's a parent, you know, would know that your sleep is really impacted, especially in those early months. And that has a huge, you know, we really know the, how important sleep is for, for mental health. So I guess I would think of that as the, uh, one of the biological components of, of mental health, but it's a really important one to think about in, in those early months with the baby. Yeah. You'll probably never sleep the same again. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, just talking about, you know, kind of like postpartum is postpartum depression is, is it more common than we think or realize? It is pretty common. So uh, about 10%, give or take a few percentage points of, of women will experience uh, postpartum, you know, mood symptoms. Um, it's even more common uh, to have like a baby blues you might have heard of. Um, that's something that happens probably 80% of people will have um, a dip in their mood in the first few days after having the baby. They might be very emotional, quick to cry. That happens, yeah, about eight out of 10 women. Um, the difference is that generally will go away in three to five days and, and gets better. Uh, and then in, in some people it doesn't and it may worsen. Um, postpartum depression we think of as, as really, um, some people think of it as the first three months after the baby, but really we tend to think of it really in the first year that people can, can develop um, difficulties with, with mood or anxiety. And, and that's, like I said, about 10% of women will, will have symptoms that kind of continue and that become more um, 
that affect their ability to function a bit more and are longer lasting than that initial baby blues sort of emotional period that that is so common. It's really interesting. So are women more likely to talk about issues they are facing and reach out for help? I think that, it, like I said before, there is a little bit, and I think this is changing too, but there is a little bit more acceptance of women speaking about uh, their emotions and um difficulties with anxiety and and um, and mood compared with men where it really it historically has been really stigmatized um, on the other hand like I said there are different barriers for women um, and I think especially especially new parents I uh, and there's some stigma around um, I think for women talking about hormonal influences on their mood it's often been something that's sort of been used as a way to imply that women aren't as capable in some ways. So there's a, there's, there's some complicated history there, I think, um, that might prevent some women from speaking about it or from, or from looking at it from that aspect as well, like the, the influence of their hormonal changes on their mood. Um, Mm -hmm. and it has been sort of used against women in in the past. There's a lot of terms that are, that have been used that, that implicate sort of women's biology and their, in their mood changes. And, and a small part of that is true that biology does affect our moods and our um, and our levels of anxiety and other symptoms. And yet, it, it does not imply that people aren't able to function and can't uh, can't be as effective in roles that uh, the mm-hmm. same way men can be. Yeah, I feel like um, as it, going back years ago now, but I can remember going through a time where it, it just felt hard, and you wonder, and I don't, I wonder if people recognize that that's you know, affecting their mental health, or if it's just that they figure, you know what, it's, I can't, I can't do it all that I, the way that I thought I could. And so you, you have to recognize sometimes that uh, you have to be there accepting that life has changed mm-hmm. or, or re, whether or not you might need more help than that. Right. Do. I think it's true that as a society, the, the expectations we have of, of mothers is, are just so high and really border on impossible to meet, if, if not being actually impossible in terms of trying to balance um, earning an income, working outside of the home, which is a necessity for most people uh, in our reality, and also caring for a child. Um, we are relatively lucky in Canada to have, um, for most people, relatively long uh, maternity leave. Uh, but that's not accessible for everyone. There are a lot of people for whatever, for different kinds of reasons in terms of their employment, they may not have access to a paid, uh, paid leave. Um, and that brings up a lot of challenges with, you know, sleep and feeding the infant and while trying to also maintain a, a schedule outside of the home. Um, women take on, you know, a lot of, tend to take on more of the household um, tasks of, you know, running, organizing, planning the household. Um, and a lot of that is seen as, in some ways, I think by some people, just just the role of a, a woman or a mother to do. And, th- and that, I think, um, makes it hard for some people to acknowledge, to ask for help, to acknowledge how difficult it is and impossible even to meet that. On top of that is the kind of, we all want, I think, as parents to, to have things as perfect as possible for our, for our kids. And... Um, I think part of that that adjustment in early parenthood, or maybe throughout the rest of parenthood too, is actually recognizing that it can't be perfect, and you can only really do your best, right? Mm. Uh, and, and accepting that that is good enough, you know, 
for your for your child that they have if they have you know a good attachment and you're responsive to them um that should be good enough and you don't have to be perfect right as a parent yeah so true <laughs> perfect kind of segue into my next question um, <laughs> you, you, you might remember like a few years ago i was working with a patient from the um, love you by shoppers drug mart women's clinic who uh, was a new mom and she, you know, had, was experiencing, you know, mental health issues, but she talked about the role that social media played in maybe exacerbating her, uh, her, her issue because, you know, she, she didn't feel the way that inside, she didn't feel the way that was portrayed on social media. She'd see pictures of, you know, like, you know, this is the greatest day of my life and, and the perfect family and like the, you know, these images of mothers who, who seem to be doing it all with a smile on their face and they're so grateful. And she wasn't, you know, that wasn't what she was feeling. And I wonder if uh, in your work, do you see the role that social media might play, you know, negatively in a new mother's uh, mental health? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that social media at so many different life stages and for so many people has that effect where nobody's posting a picture of their worst day, you know, or even the hard moments, rarely you're not seeing that. So you get this kind of skewed view of, of what things are like for other people. And I think that can happen in depression and anxiety anyway, where we get a bit of distortions in the way we're seeing things where, where it looks darker or worse than, than it really is. So social media, I think can really kind of, exaggerate that so you're seeing that reflected like this thought that you're you're not doing as well as other people because all you're seeing in there is the you know the highlight reel of someone else's day where they've really cut out all the messy stuff from the background of their bedroom or, or what have you and uh, you're not seeing that in the frame so it kind of reinforces those distortions that we tend to have anyway when we have um, mental health concerns like anxiety and depression there are some benefits to social media too. I think it, it helps people stay in touch, like especially through COVID. Like um, people can sometimes access, you know, local neighborhood groups, for example, on Facebook or elsewhere, and and stay in touch and be able to actually uh, have a uh, supportive network. So it depends how you use it, right? But definitely, you are mentioning something that that comes up a lot and is a real phenomenon. Uh, I think there are ways to to use social media in a way to actually help you get some social connection rather than to feel that more isolation and um and negative aspects of it mm -hmm. so whether it's our partner our mother sister friend how can we support women in our lives who are struggling i think i mean being connected is a way that we can all support each other regardless of life stage or or gender um and uh i think reaching out and asking people how they're doing and really listening to what they say and if you have concerns, like if you think they don't seem like themselves or they're, um, you know, you have other any reason to, to really be concerned about their mental health, uh, I think the best way is to, is to let people know that there are resources out there to, to help them. Often one of the best ways to start the process is to suggest people talk to their family doctor about how they're feeling. And, and usually primary care, our colleagues can, can really help with referrals or with directing people to resources. Oftentimes they're able to even manage um, without necessarily referral to our clinic, although it, it could play a role. Um, so I think offering support, being someone to listen to someone else. And then if you, you feel worried, 
then to suggest other options too for them to have some professional not everyone who's who's feeling down necessarily needs professional support but some might and i think it's good to offer people that option so they know it's there and then they can call and or or get in touch with supports uh should they need it if things are not improving or really affecting their ability to to be themselves you you, met, you mentioned earlier just how women still carry a, a significant burden in terms of you know managing a household uh, managing their own careers and, and work life. Do you have any advice that you would give uh, women today about uh, how to best manage, you know, everything that all their responsibilities or that, you know, in terms of looking after their own health as well? It's hard. It's, a, it's definitely a challenge. I think for everyone, I think, um, and, and people face those um, challenges a bit disproportionately too. I mean, we know that, you know, racialized women, women of lower socioeconomic status would have more challenges even um, with less money, for example, to, to pay for support, with less sort of employment opportunities, with less flexible jobs, oftentimes more experience of racism and other things that, that really negatively influence um, mental health and, and health generally globally as well. Uh, so part of what I guess we all need to do is try to try to improve those factors as much as we can by advocating that, uh, you know, for equitable service uh, and resources uh, and a more individual level. I mean, I think um, reaching out for help, asking other people to help support you is important. Uh, sometimes that's not an option. You know, there are some people where they may not have anyone to call, uh, but there are services there. So I, I would really recommend that people, if they're struggling to start with their primary care or their family doctor as a place. Uh, they, they often have a lot of resources to suggest um, and, and also to reach out to family and friends as much as possible, get the help that is there. Um, if it's financially feasible to, um, to get help that way as well, to, to pay for some support in the house, um, just acknowledging that's, that's not a reality for, for everyone, of course. Um, I think, like like we kind of alluded to before, using social media in a in a positive way as possible is is important. So not scrolling through necessarily looking for people to compare yourself to negatively, but actually trying to join a group of people facing similar things. Um, and they are out there. Um, there are there are also you know postpartum support groups, pregnancy support groups that that can be helpful to join. Um, so those are some of the things I I, I would. I would consider to look to other people, you know, it, it's, it's kind of um, maybe cliche, something that we've heard so many times, but it really does take a village to raise a child and it's not possible to do it alone. Unfortunately, COVID has made it so much difficult, so much more difficult for so many people to really have that network of support because we have to take into account, you know, uh, infection and, and not exposing the baby or not exposing anyone else, isolating for those purposes. That's been a really cha a challenging thing. On the other hand, I think it's maybe made us all a bit more open to some virtual supports that have been helpful. We've actually been using um, doing virtual appointments in the women's clinic since even pre-COVID, uh, which has always been really helpful because it was hard, often hard for, for new parents to get out and travel to our clinic with their babies, et cetera. So we did some visits. We've been doing it for at least five years now. Um, but I think that's become because of COVID, it's really become a more viable option for a lot of people than it used to be. Um, 
So as hard as that has been and as difficult as it's been, I hope that there'll be some long-term positive changes in terms of improving access for people who are far away, who aren't able to get out of the house because of childcare uh, responsibilities, um, bad weather, whatever it may be, that, that we'll actually be able to help people more in those settings um, and more flexibly than we were before. One last thing, and it, it just, it's probably more of a statement that I get you to comment on <laughs> more than anything, but in my experience, like women, whether they're a mother or not, they tend to be really selfless and always putting uh, everybody else uh, first. I think it probably gets in, enhanced when you're a mother, but I, I think that's in my, you know, in my time uh, on earth, I would say that's an observation I have. How important is it that, that I think men are better at taking time for themselves, maybe too much time, but I think, you know, of caring for the, like self-care and, and taking what they need in order to be healthy. And women, uh, are women as good at that? Is that something that they, you know, maybe generally need to be better at? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's a complicated combination of um, social expectations that, that, that start really young, you know, and also maybe some innate differences. Um, that women may not get the same reaction when they try to take time for themselves as men do. You know what I mean? So, so there's, it's kind of a, a two-way loop. I think women do tend to internalize things more um, and to feel um, that they need to sort of meet um, the needs of other people before theirs. And I think that's something that, that it especially um, it differs culturally, but in many cultures, that's, that's an expectation from a young age for girls and women. And it's, it's a challenge, I think, to change that, even though, uh, you know, I think there has been a lot of progress in the way, um, in the way some of those things are, are viewed uh, now, it's still there. I think there is still a different expectation, even for, for boys and girls and, and women and men that, that makes it harder for, um, for women to prioritize their needs. And I think especially mothers and uh, parents, because there is a real expectation that um, the child should always come first. And of course, childhood is a very important part, but you can't have a healthy, happy child without a healthy, happy, uh, not necessarily completely healthy, but, but a effective, responsive parent. It's not necessarily a biological mother, but parent who's, who's able to respond um, to their needs. So that means if you want to, if you want to treat and make sure kids are doing well, we have to support parents too. Um, and that includes, that includes uh, mothers, fathers, and non-binary parents as well, that, that there are supports available uh, for fathers in the postpartum period. And, um, and, and those are important as well. Well, thank you very much, Dr. McKeever, for taking time today to talk with us. I found it very interesting. Yeah, same. Thank you. Learned Happy a lot, it, and yeah. hopefully people find it uh, useful during Mental Health Week, and, and thank you for all you do for our patients and our community. Happy Thanks week. so much. Thank you both. Thanks so much for having me. Together begins and ends.